I'm ready. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Community Connection. Potsdam native Jason Sutter has been honing his skills as a drummer for more than four decades, starting with his band Paragon that he formed in his early teens. His musical credits are long, they're varied, including the University of Miami's jazz band to his work with rock legends such as Cher, Forner, Marilyn Manson, and the New York Dolls. He joins me today on Community Connection from his Los Angeles home to talk music during COVID and his love of the North Country. Good morning, Jason. Hi, how are you? I am well. So when I reached out to you and you so graciously accepted my invitation, I said, "Eh, let's talk about music and COVID. And you said, I'd rather talk about growing up in the North Country. And I I thought that was so, that was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's a a unique situation. I was very fortunate. I didn't know that at the time, Mm -hmm. but I I was very, very fortunate to grow up in a town with, you know, four, five, six colleges, really. And with that came, you know, a, you know, a very healthy, robust scene to play music in as a, a little kid, really. And so the first musical experiences were with um, other professors, children, you know, yeah, all yeah. the guys in my band when I was 11, uh, were, you know, the English teacher's son playing guitar, the dean of students, uh, or I think the president of Potsdam SUNY was Todd Young, the keyboard player. And we could go and do a slumber party at Todd Young's house and uh, rehearse for three days at a time and, and, you know, just get there Friday night. And, you know, so it was a, it was a very organic uh you know, really just all about music. It was a wonderful, uh, growing experience. Every time we get together, it was just this, you know, leaps and bounds as, you know, honing our little craft yeah. that how, you know, we had no idea would end up for most of us being part of our lives forever. Yeah. Before we went on air, you said you remembered playing at what Norwood Norfolk uh, Central School with Paragon? E- yeah, the, the Norwood uh, Elementary School was the first gig I did and everybody else in the band was uh, we're from Potsdam and yeah. that was fun too. It was really amazing considering, you know, we're four miles between us, between Potsdam and Norwood. It felt like when I was, you know, 11, it, you know, we'd drive my drums in the van and my dad would drive me and help me <laughs> load in and load out. You know, it felt like miles, you know, it felt like you were going from Paris to Germany or something, you know, it was like a whole little world, you know? And the fun part is the band we would play Norwood with all these guys from Potsdam, so they'd get to meet all the cute, you know, girls from Norwood, and then we'd play Nor- Norwood, or, or we'd play Potsdam, and get to meet all these other people from this other school system. It was really kind of a cool, uh, you know, kind of commingling of these, these different worlds, and that's, and that's how we got different gigs. You yeah. know, it was, it was a really organic music scene <laughs> for it, such a tiny, tiny little microcosm. Yeah. Did you love the applause? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? I mean, that was everything. It still is. Yeah. It's about applause for me. I'm not about, I'm not a studio drummer. I make records. I record. I record on the street. You know, they're the biggest studios in the world, you know, where some of the biggest records have been recorded. And those are fun. You know, uh, I live in North Hollywood, so pretty much everything is, is within 10 minutes from me. But... Yeah, that's what it's always been about, is, is applause or feeling that audience, looking them in the eye, you know? Um, that's, where I, that's where I get the joy, and that's why I do what I do. It's always been that, you know, whether it be in 
you know, playing in the auditorium with concert band or, you know, playing, we played Greece, you know, when we were in, you know, uh, yeah. 11th grade, you know, and that was exciting playing to these auditoriums, you know, that was, that's really always what it's been about. It's not about really anything else. You said your dad was your roadie for a while. He was a, a SUNY well, pot my stick. dad was, yeah, my dad is James Sutter. He was the, you know, he was at, at one point he was the dean uh, or the, uh, yeah, he was the dean of, of the art department, I think, you know, and he was the, uh, you know, he was my biggest champion. He, when he was little, he wanted to be a drummer too. Hmm. So when he got older, his father was the chief of police of Milwaukee um, and drumming wasn't an option, but luckily my dad is an amazing fine artist and went to, you know, four or five universities on scholarship. He paid nothing because he was just that good. That's how it was back in the day. And so he set that standard for me as a young college student saying, you know, basically if you're going to go to music school, I mean, you're going to go to a really good music school, you need to go on scholarship. You have to be that good if you want to do this. And so I had that kind of Tiger Woods daddy pressure. You know, he would, <laughs> he got me amazing drum lessons with the incredible, who is still there, Jim Peterzak, who happens to be the professor at SUNY Potsdam um, Crane School of Music, which again is another bonus. And I just had that in my backyard. I couldn't walk yeah. lessons. Yeah. And um, that was a big deal. And Jim Peterzak is, was and is a big deal in the world of, community of drumming in Los Angeles. He's a legend and, you know, anywhere you go. And so I was lucky to have that guy as lessons. My father traded a piece of art for yeah. drum lessons. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like fairy tale stuff, you know, and uh, that made a big influence in my drumming career. I, I learned from the best at the very beginning. And I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I was going to ask you how, the, yeah, I was going to ask you how that uh, shaped your, your musical identity, having Crane School of Music right in our backyard. It was everything. It was everything to get to go and, and mingle with incredible percussionists who were coming from all over the, the country, but especially New York, New Jersey, who were, you know, 17, 18. I'd get to go watch I watched every percussion ensemble concert at Crane. And it was just, it was really fortunate. <laughs> I don't take any of that for granted. Mm -hmm. And now that I look back on it, I go, how was I so lucky? I was literally in a music school. I was in this pressure cooker of talent. And you don't get that often, you know, often you don't get that in, in, uh, you know, maybe Indiana or, you know, Albuquerque, you don't grow up in that. I had that, I had this incredible scene of bars and everybody wanting <laughs> live music at that time in the early eighties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There weren't enough good drummers. And next thing I know, I'm playing in four or five bands from, you know, scuzzy blues clubs playing blues when I'm 13 or 14 and they're walking me into the bars from the, back can't drink you know but you can play <laughs> three sets you know an hour each set three hours it was it was incredible and i get to watch incredible bands come through and after yeah. a while they wouldn't ask me for my id i didn't have to be with my parents so by the time i was 16 15 i was at every bar i'd walk up they'd let me in and i'd play music that was that's what i was there for and eventually i could go and watch music so it was like amazing amazing blues bands would come through incredible reggae bands from vermont a really famous band called lamb's bread i was just inundated with styles of music and i would sit there for hours just stunned you know just stunned by the amount of great music and how people were feeding off of it and and when i couldn't get in when i was younger i would stand on the water meter 
outside the window until it got too steamy to watch the band while after watching a movie at the Roxy, you know, while I was waiting for my mom, I'd always, I'd always have my mom, you know, come meet me at a certain spot where I knew I could probably get a good 20 minutes to an hour waiting for her. If I timed it right, watching the band before the window steamed up in the, in the alley of Django's. <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. It's incredible. Were these paying gigs, Jason? Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, the first gig I did at, at the municipal building with, you know, Joe Leoto probably paid like two bucks, <laughs> you know, and two bucks was, was a big deal. I was making more than my allowance back then. You know, I was earning my own money. I still have, my father still has the first $2 I ever got framed somewhere from playing a dance at some kid's, you know, basement when I was in like 1982 or 83, you know, and then I remember all those gigs. And I, the most important thing is I remember the lessons I learned on those gigs and I still apply those to my professional life. You know, I still do as far as showing up on time, being prepared, you know, being enthusiastic, playing every song like it matters because it did then. And it still does. So those lessons, don't go away. Those were early lessons that I learned that I realized once I got to college and then beyond when I got to a very professional, I began my, my professional career. I realized those lessons were the same. I would, I would, I would feed off those for the rest of my career, negotiating a contract. I was negotiating contracts for Colton high school to play a dance <laughs> because I was dating a girl at Colton in you know 11th grade. Yeah. She was like, well, we want, a, we want a band. We want your band. Okay, well, and next thing you know, I'm negotiating a contract with the student council, you know. That was real. I was doing everything I would end up doing later in life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It was like yeah. there were groupies from other towns that would come to every gig. You know, it was, it was, it was very rock and roll. It was very professional. And I was a, I was a baby. Only in Potsdam would I get that experience. Only in the North Country would I get that because of the colleges, because of Potsdam State, because of the era, you know? So Mm -hmm. when I got to college, I already had a very, very thorough background in performing professionally, which most kids who got to college were like, okay, now I can play drums for people, you know? I'm (laughs) out of my parents' basement. For me, I was like, man, I was out of my parents' basement by the time I was 11. I was on the road, you know, playing Colton, Potsdam. I played in the band <laughs> the with circuit. guys who were, yeah, there was a, there was a circuit. Out there was a bar circuit. When I was probably fifteen, I was in a band that owned a light show. <laughs> we owned a PA. You, that was for back in the days when nobody had a PA. You had to bring your, you know, your PA. If people don't know, that's your sound system. Right. We had a monitor. A guy would run it. We'd load it in on Thursday. That say the dark side in Ogdensburg. In freezing cold, we'd load it in on Thursday, play a gig that night for three hours. I'd get home at like two in the morning, ears ringing, wake up, go to school for Friday, you know, then Friday, then Saturday, tear it all down and and head home that night at like, you know, three in the morning. It was and we do that every weekend. I didn't we owned we owned a truck you know actually Josie's Pizza I don't know if Josie's Pizza is still there it but is. Josie's had it a is. used to have a delivery truck called the Pizza Wagon <laughs> and they had two of them and they were like old milk trucks and one of them they sold and so we drove an old pizza wagon no air conditioning no insulation with all of our gear it was huge and that's what we drove we owned a car a light show and a PA when I was 15 and the kicker is I remember when I was probably 20 
27, 28, living in Boston, yeah. playing professionally out of grad school. And I got a check in the mail from one of the guys who had sold the wagon, sold the light show, <laughs> sold the PA finally. He went on to have a career. And we all got our cut after all that. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. I would imagine hilarious. that that helped you, though, later in life with your musical career, all of those experiences. It, it was everything. It was everything. It was. It, it helped me make, you know, professional, um, rational decisions mm-hmm. yeah. as a, as a at, when I was professional. It, it prepped me better than anything in the world could. You know, it really did. Growing up at them with all those college kids, we played every college function. We played every beer blast at Zeta New and. Theta Chi and all those, you know, pig roast, you know, back when they had beer blasts for you who are listening who don't understand what that is. It's when at one of those beautiful old Victorian fraternities built in the twenties, they would have, or earlier, they would have a hundred, 300, 400 people show up from yeah. the college and they would have 20 kegs of beer you know, and a live band. And if you didn't have a live band, you might as well not even open the doors, you know, and we were the live band and I got to play all those. And it was all when I was in high school. And ironically, this is true. I was playing in, Le- nah, I'm trying to think of the, the name of the rap, but I'll think of it. But anyway, it's right down the street from a park from the Roxy, whatever that frat is on the water. And I was playing okay, at Ives I was park. probably, I'm sorry, what? Ives, Ives park. park. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's it. And there was, there used to be a frat right there mm-hmm. at the farthest you can go to that street over there. There's like a doctor's office at the end of that park. And then there's a, there used to be a frat. I don't know if it still is, but we were playing there and they would put up like, you know, like chicken wire. So you couldn't just walk in. You had to pay to get in. You know, it was like waist high. And a buddy, you could, we would walk. I would watch beer bands like Double Axel, Alex, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, Alex, those here. guys were the, yeah. that, that's the other thing that needs to be mentioned is those guys were like, the wind beneath our wings, you know, without seeing those guys do it, I would never have done, you know, I would never have done it more for Alex and, and Rob yeah. and that whole band who are still playing. I was just going to say, and they and, still draw a big crowd. Yeah. I was like, I mean, they don't need my help, but if, if they're playing, go see them. <laughs> if yeah. you're sitting in your house listening to this, go see double axle because yeah. they are legends and they are in your town. And, uh, they were the nicest guys, you know, obviously they own Northern music. So, when I needed drumsticks or, a, mm-hmm. and there are many times, and this is truth, where our PA would, we'd be in the middle of a gig. I remember we were playing at the Newman Center, down, also near the Roxy, and yep. we are playing with a band, and our PA blew up, and we had a break, and we had another set, and we ran to Northern Music, and they were like, take these speakers. And we were like little kids carrying these speakers down the street, plug them in and finish the gig, and brought them back. Yep. Those guys cared so much more than they should have about us like, you know, having a career. It was amazing. You know, they really cared and, and we got to watch them and, and they walked us through it, not knowing they were doing it. We watched them and go like, wow, that's the level we should be playing. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing, you know, incredible. So there was that too, you know, we were lucky to have so many other bands that we could, we could look up to and then emulate. I mean, obviously, we had the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, sure, right. um, you know. But on a local level. We, but on a local level, those guys were our Rolling Stones and our Beatles. Yep. The difference was they liked us. <laughs> they let us sit in their store on Saturday for hours playing guitars. 
It was, you know, pawing through records. They never said, get out, scram. Yeah. They never did. They were just like, come on in. They're like, you need a job? We need somebody to sweep the back room. Like, yes, I can be associated with this incredible store with you yeah. incredible demigods, you know? Yeah. So they were the kindest. They still are. I talked to Alex on Facebook and, you know, they still are. But they were, were instrumental. You know, that would have been very different had they been... Uh, negative or it just made yeah, music yeah. just a great thing. And now we were part of the thing they were part of, you know, and that, and they accepted us. They didn't have to accept us, you know, okay. they validated us, you know, they, we were, we were legit because they said we were legit. <laughs> right. They gave us street cred. But if you could have seen the scenario, there's Alex. <laughs> if there's somebody had taken a picture at the, you know, a gorgeous looking young Alex standing at the with long hair and rock star glowing <laughs> at the counter. And here we are, while well, we can barely put our money on the counter, you know, we're like yeah. babies, you know. But he they they to their credit they took us seriously and so we took ourselves seriously and that never changed. <laughs> you know, I just kept doing it. And I imagine you know this yourself, but there's a great reward in mentoring younger people, in what? right? I think there's a in great what? reward in mentoring younger folks, right? Oh, of course. I never miss an opportunity at this age if I can. If somebody writes me on my website or something and it's legit, you know, I if I can help somebody, you know, if I can, you know, give my two cents, you know, if, I, if somebody comes up to me and still, you know, or I've had people who are like, hey, I'm from Saratoga. You're from Potsdam. Mm -hmm. I just moved to L.A. I'm terrified. I'm a, you know, I play bass. It's like, I'm like, let's get a coffee. Let's hang out. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you where to go, where to be seen, what to do. You know, I, you know, when I moved here, Peter Zach gave me, when I moved to L.A. in 2000 from Boston, Peter Zach gave me a bunch of numbers and half the numbers I called a, either A, didn't call me back, these professional drummers, or when they did, they were like, good luck. Wow. They were just like, good luck. You should have, you know, wish you were here like 10 years ago and the music scene was happening, which is kind of a joke because it's always, you know, it's all, the grass was always greener 10 years ago in this industry. And it, I guess it was, you know, but no help. No, hey, man, let's meet for a cough. No, no nurturing. It was a very cold L.A. that I came to. I mean, as far as people helping me out, they were just too cool for school or too busy. And I'm, I've, I've tried, I'm not saying I'm a saint, but if I'm in town and you're sure. reaching out, you say, Hey man, can we get a coffee? I'm not really sure how to approach this because it's terrifying. I mean, I remember coming to LA. I had met a friend. They met me at the airport. I barely knew them. They said I could sleep on their couch for a, a month. I did. I finally bought a car. Uh, I had a truck coming out with all my belongings. It wasn't much. I had no furniture. I owned nothing. You know, it was just movable. A few sets of drums. And I remember going to Griffith Park, the famous Griffith Observatory. We, we got burgers, and we went up there, and we ate. I remember looking out. You could see all of L.A. over Griffith Park, you know. And I'll never forget looking out my first day in L.A. thinking, I got I to gotta tackle this beast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I have yeah. to somehow, I don't know how, but I'm going to tackle this beast. I'm going to live my dreams. But this will decide. This city will decide if I, if I live my dreams, if I do. And so every time I drive around L.A., even a couple days ago, I look up because it's a beacon. You can see it. It's right near the Hollywood sign. This beautiful old deco 30s observatory. You know, it's gorgeous. Where they filmed Rebel Without a Cause, where there's a night fight scene. That's right. Griffith Observatory. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, so I look up at that, and it reminds me. It's like, remember this, dude? Remember when you were, you know, just looking out, had no idea how to approach this. And so when I get calls from people, when people are moving here, especially people from the North Country, which there are a lot of, Mm. um, I'll meet them. You know, let's hang, let's have a coffee, man. I'll buy lunch, you know, you're welcome. You know, because I know they got enough stuff going on that any little nugget of hopefully knowledge can save them from either a making a mistake I made mm-hmm. or moving a little quicker down that path to hopefully getting some success, but it's Hollywood. It's, yeah. it's rough. It's rough out here. It's rough everywhere, but in the music industry, yeah. if you're an actor, if you are in radio or, you know, telecommunications, people come here to live their dreams and it's a brutal, brutal process and many come they get a little tiny taste of what they came for not that they don't live their dreams at all they don't even put their foot in the in the pool of dreams but they get a whiff of it and they're good and they go home you know and it takes a certain type to stick it out it's it's definitely not all peaches and cream i mean it is now i have to say i've managed to set up a life for myself and i've I've, I've always hoped I would, and I remember meeting people who had that, you know, where you get established, and once you kind of get established here, you're kind of dyed in the wool. You become part of this. I've been here for 18 years now, and it's it's my city, and I don't have to worry about the phone ringing, which I never thought in my life I would ever say, because for the first 20 years I've been here, which is pretty much now, I was terrified of, like, will I get another gig, and everyone is. The worst is when you get a good gig. Once you get a good gig, you get that taste. You're, you're then you're terrified. That's the scariest of all, because then you just want it to happen again, yeah. Yeah. and do anything you can to make sure it does. You know, and uh, I've been really lucky. I've been just really lucky. Obviously, to those who are young and listening, just take the time now while you're there and do. Don't wait to move to a city or wherever you want, you know, you, you need to go. Cause it is being in the right place hmm. at the right time. And if I wasn't here, I wouldn't have done what I've done, which is exactly what I wanted to do as a little boy. Exactly. Like picture perfect. I'm a, I'm a rare example. And I came from, you know, Norwood. I grew up on the Raquette river <laughs> in the woods by myself and there wasn't much to do. So, and thanks to Joe Liotta and that, Hatchell and these beer blasts, I got a great, and Peter Zach, of course, and my dad and my family, that whole scene, all those great musicians that I got to play with, that really helped me, uh, you know, here's the path, just keep walking down it and play well, always. Mm-hmm. Practice, so I practice all the time, I had nothing else to do, you know, I was in Potsdam in Norwood, there wasn't much to do. So I practiced drums all all day. And thank God, I, I have to thank my sister. I have a twin sister, Shannon. Oh, okay. She never once, growing up, never complained. Ever. Yeah. Like, how could you live in a little house? We lived in, you know, good-sized houses. Potsdam, Norwood, there were good-sized houses. But I would literally come home from school, like, eat a bowl of cereal, and then practice to, like, Van Halen for two hours. <laughs> You know, my poor sister never once said, like, can you not play drums today? Or can you just shut up? Or can you just be quieter? No, she just did what she did. She listened to Michael Jackson on a record player. And I'd be next door just pounding, relentlessly, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. She never, ever. And to this day, she's, you know, my biggest fan, you know, it's amazing. Never, ever. 
said anything, you know? Let's talk about your first gig, your first big gig, I should say. Uh, when you said to yourself, this is it, I, I think I've arrived. What band was that or what group? That was probably Smash Mouth. Okay. And that had come at a time, probably around 2006, brand new. And and I would say I, I, I had just finished, I was just finishing a musical called Rock of Ages, which ironically uh, was, the music was arranged by myself and Dave Gibbs, who I actually own a wine bar with down the street from my house. And Dave Gibbs' father um, <clears throat> was a legend at Crane and taught trumpet, I believe. Uh, it might've been a dean for a while. And Dave moved out to LA. Dave and I played in Greece at Potsdam. Oh, interesting. Dave came okay. back. Yeah. He was living in Potsdam um, just for, he was moving back for the summer and caught the tail end of the year when they do the Greek, the musical productions and Potsdam realized we don't have a guy who can read guitar. And Dave was, and somebody reached out to Dave. And so we had Dave and as a ringer, who was probably about five years older than us. And it was me and the bass player, Eric Unsworth, who also was from up there. All his, all his siblings have all gone on to play organ at the Mormon Tabernacle, wow. um, French horn in the, in the Chicago symphony. Mm. That's like saying, I want to be the president twice. <laughs> that's, that's how hard it is to play French horn in the Chicago symphony. Yeah. And I remember, so we had that growing up. I hate, this is a tangent just to give you an idea of how much talent there was in my class. Well, or we give or take a few years. Yeah. We should mention Dave Gibbs of gigolo ants fame, right? Of the gigolo ants. Yeah. Uh, and Dave, again, I'll get back to the, the, you know, my first gig, but Dave was standing at that beer blast in Ives park watching me at 16, no shirt on. I probably weighed like 20 pounds playing my heart out with this great cover band called Don't Ask, D-O-N-A-S-K. They were all college students from Clarkson and State, and they were seniors in college. I was a senior in high school. <laughs> so that's, like, I was, a, I was just, I was playing with that band. And they were a great high-end professional cover band that played, like, you know, played, like, Joe Jackson and Missing Persons and The <laughs> Pretenders, like, a cool, cool list of bands yeah. as well. 80s. And, I have 80, this is 86, mm -hmm. and I'm best friends still with all of them. I talk to all of them, you know, Merry Christmas. I still talk to those people. I still, they still, hey, can I come to the chair show in, you know, Tacoma? Sure, bring your kids. You know, it's <laughs> weird, still, I still see them, you know. Um, anyway, Dave Gibbs watched me play this gig and remembered that. And seven years later at Maxfield's, when we're all home for Christmas, in, I don't know, this would have been 1994, he said, you play like this guy who now is the music director for Miley Cyrus, Stacey Jones in Boston. And you look like him. And I was like, dude, you haven't seen me play in seven years. I've been playing timpani in an orchestra in orchestras. Mm. And I've been playing jazz and big bands. I have not been playing rock because I did that before I went to college, even though I knew I would go back to that. I wanted to do all this other stuff. He said, no, no, no. There's all these gigs going on in Boston. It's like post Kurt Cobain, Nirvana record deal signings. It was a very exciting time for college radio and, and this new music in the 90s. And he said, you should, I'm going to get you an audition for Juliana Hatfield and Tracy Bond. And they're both looking for a great drummer. You play like that because I remember how you played. So he, I got the gig from paying that beer, from playing that beer blast. Wow. And he sure. did. He followed through. And, he, and I was going back to my, my last semester in grad school. And, and I got a call from Dave, or I got a call from the managers. <laughs> and they, they offered to fly me to Boston. I flew up and I got a gig. 
and I left college. All I had left was, luckily, uh, a master's percussion recital. I had done all my coursework. So luckily, my, my instructors gave me a blessing. You know, I was on a graduate assistantship, so they, they, I was paid. I was a teacher. So I had to let that go. And they were gracious about it. And they said, go. But if you don't come back and get your master's, we're going to hunt you down. <laughs> you know? And I did. But Dave just to put perspective and got me my first gig. And from there, I never looked back. I literally two weeks after I left Miami being a college student playing in the wind ensemble, I was playing on Conan O'Brien's show and all my friends, they had had a big, huge party and watched me play. And it was like, Oh my God, here's this dude who was just with us (laughs) in theory class. And he's on Conan O'Brien, which for those of you who don't know, Conan O'Brien then was bigger than Dave Levin. It was the coolest college thing to see. And it was my first TV experience. It was a whirlwind, to say the least. It was like fairy tale stuff. But that, that, that hatched from a seed from Dave Gibbs sure. seeing me play at a beer blast when I was 16. Yeah, that's really so full circle. That. That's totally full circle. Yeah, it couldn't, couldn't be more. <clears throat> so anyway, I, I was doing finishing this little musical that we started as a preview for an hour and then we had producers come and we, and we played to the public at a bar called King King on Hollywood Boulevard, still there. And we played, uh, I don't know, a month of shows. People came with celebrities. What's her name? Was uh, one of the, um, she was American Idol runner up a couple of years later. And she was like one of the, you know, singers. And there was all these people who went on to become very famous in yeah. Broadway or musicals or, or other podcasts or, um, I, I can't think of her name. I Is will think of it. Kelly, anyway, she's Kelly very, Clarkson. No, it wasn't nope. Kelly okay. Clarkson. It was, um, <clears throat> oh man, I can't think of her name. She just <laughs> married this, like, you know, she's like 35 and she married like a 90 year old producer or something. Oh, oh sure. Name. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, uh, yeah, she's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, her. And she was like the newscaster <laughs> on Rock of Ages. Anyway, we ended up doing a, you know, they bought it. And next thing you know, we're doing a huge production, two acts. They finish it. So it's two acts. And we play for, and it's more rock and roll. The people coming are like in the musical, like Tommy Shaw of Styx or Ted Nugent mm-hmm. or, you know, all these famous celebrities, White Snake, David Coverdale's in the audience. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, we're playing on stage with this Rock of Ages production that Dave and I literally down the street got together. And it was like, okay, we're going to do this much of this song. And then we're going to cut, go to the journey thing. And then we're going to finish with this Asia, you know, thing. And then, you know, into Pat Benatar. <laughs> and we wrote this music together. I mean, you know, we did it together. Dave was the music director, and Dave stuck with it, and it became one of the biggest musicals in the world. It was one of the longest-running musicals on Broadway called Rock of Ages. They made a movie. I've gone to colleges to do drum clinics or lectures, and they're like, you know, come see our college production of Rock of Ages. I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, I did, I couldn't grease with this guy. Right. And we together (laughs) were part of one of the biggest musicals on Broadway, and I, this is no joke, this is my life. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I'm in New York to play with Chris Cornell, I think, and I'm in Manhattan, I'm in Times Square, staying at the Dream Hotel, and I get a call from Dave Gibbs at about 6.30. And he's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in Manhattan. We're playing on like Letterman tomorrow or something. And he said, dude, tonight's opening night of Rock of Ages. Are you free? I'm like, oh. yeah, he's like, he's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm at the Dream Hotel. He's like, walk out, go left, go right, and walk down the street, go left oh. on whatever, 48th or whatever. I'll meet you up front with tickets. And yeah. I walk in, meet Dave, meet Janet Billig, who is very famous. She worked with 
Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, a little band called Nirvana. She was her hmm. tour manager and consultant. And then she helped put down Rock of Ages. She's still part of it. And she's a dear friend. She was my manager of a band I was in in Boston. And there's I sit between Dan, Janet Billig and Dave Gibbs. And I watched the opening night. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing. And then it, it went for six years, you know? Six years. Yeah. One Tony's. It won everything. And that started from playing Greece and Potsdam in that auditorium. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. So anyway, while I was doing that product, the finishing up the, you know, the, the, that run with that show, I got the Smash Mouth gig. And I remember that came right off the heels of playing with the Rembrandts, who, if you don't know the Rembrandts, yep. they were a big band yep. who had the hit, uh, I'll be there for you, which was the theme of Friends, and they were going out. The it, Friends it was just coming off the air, so they went to do this kind of farewell tour, playing you know all their hits, including that. And I got the gig, and it was short lived. It was supposed to be like a year. It ended up being a couple months because those guys kind of imploded, which in this business happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. But from that, literally, I it was a very exciting time. Things were happening. I just left a band called American Hi-Fi that I toured with for years that were had a, had a huge hit song, uh, a really couple famous videos back when videos mattered. <sighs> we had toured Europe, Japan. It was amazing. All over America, again and again, for about a year, two years. So that was fun, and those were all my friends. Um, and then... I walk into this musical and then I get the Rembrandt's call. I go out and do a little bit of that while I'm doing the musical. And then I get this audition for Smash Mouth and I get the gig. And then I realize, okay, I'm doing it. You're doing it, dude. Don't blow it. This is it. You're a, you're a freelance drummer. This is what you always wanted to yeah. do. And that is what I do for people who don't know. I'm like, I try to be like Johnny Depp or, Leo DiCaprio and I'm just naming those as like dudes who like go from gig to gig and they're sure. British or they're Southern or they're, they're character actors. I, that's what I do. My goal has always never been to be in Lincoln park or one man. I wanted to be like an actor to go from, you know, film to film. It's the only way I can compare it for people to understand yeah. and have a British accent. And have you believe I'm from, you know, I don't know, Edinburgh or where, you know, Scotland or wherever, <laughs> you know, the goal is to show up at your gig and make you feel like I'm the last drummer you had who you liked, but I'm even better. And you never have to worry about me from the minute I play the drums. That's my job. That's my goal. It always has been. And that's how I work. That's how I get hired so that I make the band feel like, yeah, this is better than it was before with the original guy, but it's still Sounds like the original guy. Yeah. That's my goal is yeah. to like come in and it could be Marilyn Manson or it can be Cher or it can be Chris Cornell or it can be Foreigner or it could be Dee Snyder or it could be Rock of Ages or it could be Smash Mouth. And that is my goal. And I'm still working on it. And I'm still, you know, like I said, still getting some phone calls already even during COVID to do this stuff. So Smash Mouth was yeah. the first gig I did where I was like, okay, now I'm doing this. I'm getting paid well. I'm playing for huge audiences. I'm recording their records with the producers that made these records that I respect. And we're on a, we're on a tour bus. We're on planes and jets. And this is legit. You know, this is legit. Don't blow this and let's keep this going. And, and um, it kind of has. It literally hasn't stopped <laughs> since that was 2006. So... Yeah, that's when it began. That's when I knew, like, okay, this is happening. I'm doing what I 
But I set out for. I have I have a resume, a real resume. A resume, like, exactly. Yeah. Not like I played it on a cruise ship and I played at Disney. It's like I did those, but I can get rid of that on my resume now. Now I have a real resume. You know. You clearly have a rock and roll heart, to uh, loosely quote Eric Clapton. But when I was reading. Um, you're on your website. You have a master's de- master's degree in orchestral percussion. That's from uh, U of M, University of Miami, where you performed with the university's jazz band. What drew you to the mus- the musicians that you are working with now, who are clearly not in the uh, you jazz know, honestly, genre? Like I said, I was so lucky to get the rock and roll heart ingrained. When I was, by the time I was 16, you know, from Potsdam, from like 11 yeah. to 16, it was like just whirlwind, gigging. Like I said, I'd be playing a blues gig at, at, at Alger's, which doesn't exist anymore. I don't even know how to <laughs> describe that, but it's underneath the, uh, it's on the corner of Main Street. It's, un, it's a bar that may or not still be existing underneath the, uh, I can't remember the apartment, those buildings, but. Yeah, it's anyway. not, but it's, it's well known. Yeah, so I was playing in Alger's with blues dudes who were like, you know, college professors who were like, you know, sm- cigarettes hanging out of their mouth, the quintessential, like speaking of clap and blues dudes. Yeah. And I would play those gigs constantly because they, they, I just learned so much about feel and tone and touch and, you know, small, sweaty, crappy bar. And the bass player would be like, you're dragging, you're rushing. You know, we'd listen to the recording, they'd record it after. And these guys cared enough to go like, see that? Don't do that. See when you did that? Don't do that. Do this. Keep doing it. Those lessons were gold. You know, I know, I don't sure, take any of yeah. granted. And I know I've, I'm kind of saying this over and over again, but it is true. It was like I was in rock school in Potsdam yeah. <laughs> from all these yeah. gigs, and one would be a fraternity party with, with for, you know seniors in college from Clarkson, and the other would be these like sweaty blues old blues cats, and one would be you know I had so many gigs. I was a freelance drummer then. I was doing what I did then, what I what I do now. Then I was just doing it on a different level, sure. like I've I've said. So. I had that covered, and I had the academia from Peter Zak, the influence of Crane and seeing percussion ensembles and going, this is how you do this. If you, I, I wanted to be the best drummer I could be. I didn't want to show up in L.A. or New York City and go like, oh, wish I had worked more on yeah, that. Absolutely. I wish I had that yeah. skill. No. I wanted to be able to look behind the curtain, whatever that proverbial curtain is, and go, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I got that. Yep, got that too. Yeah. Yep, I can read. I can do that. Yep. I wanted to be able to say yes to every gig and know that I could go in and actually do it. You know, no BS. So I went to music school, and not just music school, I went to the University of North Texas uh, on scholarship, and then I went to the University of Miami on an assistantship where I taught, and they paid me as a grad student to perform in these ensembles and to teach the Hurricane Drumline, which was no, you know, endorsed by Nike, you know, like a big deal. You could fly on jets to bowl games, you know. It was, it was serious. It was it was a... Uh, yeah. It was serious music and commerce experience, you know, but um, I wanted to get, so when I went to college for seven years of grad, you know, up to graduate school, I wanted to have all that covered. I didn't need to play rock and roll. I didn't need to play in cover bands where most of my friends were doing that weekend. I didn't do that. I, I wanted to play in the orchestra, the wind ensemble, the percussion ensemble, the gamelan, the jazz band, the vocal jazz band, where I played brushes and practice, you know, play quiet. I worked on that. I wanted to do to hone the skills and sharpen the knives that weren't sharp, because I had the rock and roll already, thanks to Potsdam, you know, which is extremely unique, you know. Knowing I would go back to that, 
So I call it eating your vegetables before you have dessert. You know, you have to eat your vegetables before you have dessert. I was eating my vegetables for seven years. And now I'm having dessert <laughs> yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. Is, is there a musical genre that you prefer, though? I mean, do you... I know one pays no, the bills. Actually, there, there, there isn't. Yeah. There isn't. I mean, I can say that's the beauty of like what I tried to do my career is I wanted to play everything well and convincing. You know, it's like asking an actor, you know, or I, I hate these Johnny Depp, but he's a great example. Like, yeah. you know, is there a movie? Is there a genre? Do you prefer comedy or, you know, serious? Right. You no, know, he probably loves it all because that, that's how he gets to be him because he can do all that. And I want to be like that. I want to be able to do all that. So when, when Marilyn Manson calls, it's like, yeah, I can do that. In my mind, I'm like, can I do that? I think I can. <laughs> I've been working on this. I've been working. Yeah, I can, I can do it. Uh, how do I have to look? Okay. What should I dr- How should I dress? I don't know. You know. That's all part of this. You have to show up and, you know, I say it, I do countless auditions. I don't anymore. but I used to. And you know, it's, it's, it's like a blind date. I say to people, you know, you show up and they're like, you walk in the door and they're like, either they like you or they don't immediately. And how you carry yourself before you even meet somebody in an audition or a blind date is already either attractive or not. Yeah. yeah. And so all those factors come into it too. So it's not, sadly, it's not just about drumming. So I wanted that, that to be the given, you know, the drumming is the given. Right. I'm going to nail the drumming. Now, can I get along with these guys? Do they like me? Do I look cool? Do I look right? That's a big part of rock and roll, you yeah, know, or absolutely. acting, or you know, the, or the creative arts in so many ways. Sadly, but it is, you know, it's a. It's a there are many more things. Some people just like I, I can play great, but I have terrible social skills. <laughs> sure, lots that's of- gonna be a, that's gonna be a problem. <laughs> you're gonna that, you're probably not gonna work very much. You know, are you working these days? Well, I I I just turned down a record because it's like you know what what you're talking about is exactly what we shouldn't be doing right. Mm. <laughs> you know, to this guy, like you're talking about getting in a room, rehearsing with masks and it's not a big room and then going into a studio with like two or three engineers. Yeah, no, that's not, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to do that yeah. to satisfy myself or, you know, I don't feel bad saying like, you know, I take this seriously. I want to live. I want to keep playing. This is, you know, the end is near, you know, there's a vaccine. We can wait. And he's like, you're right. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> High five. See you in a couple months, hopefully. Yep, exa- we'll exactly. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. So I'm cool. I'm cool, Good. man. I, like I said, I've, I've had so much dessert <laughs> yeah. these last 20 years that I'm like, Good. I don't need to play right now. I'm yeah. cool. I actually, to be fair and trying to be on, on the positive side, this has been a great break. I haven't had a break in yeah, 20 sure. years. Exactly. And in our industry, when somebody calls, you take that call, you take mm-hmm. that gig. You don't say no, you know, um, so this is in a way has been giving me a chance to enjoy my home and, you know, garden and, you know, paint the, <laughs> you know, the side of the house that's been, you know, needed to be painted for the last two years. And I've, I love homes. I have a house in Joshua tree. I just finished from the ground up and that was already three years in, but you know, I got to finish that during this and that just, just finally passed its final inspection. And it's a home and, you know, right. all the things you can't do when, can, yeah, all the things you can't do when you're on the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and obviously it helps to pay for it and let somebody else do it. But so this was a way for me to kind of put my final fingerprint on it. And so to me, you know, this is a, it doesn't have to be terrible. And I have other gigs lined up and luckily my current boss, you know, is a very, a very, you know, virile 75 year old woman, you know, looks like she's 
35, you know, <laughs> and acts like she's 35 and sings like she's like 19. Yeah. And so luckily she's probably going to do another tour and hopefully I'll be part of it. But, you know, so that's, that will happen if this all, if we get this, you know, this straightened out, that will happen eventually. She will do a final tour. And to be fair, I was literally on the road when this, when it was like scratch the needle off the record. Okay. We're all going home. There's a pandemic. So that was a good, you know, if there is any situation to be in prior to this, to be on the road doing exactly what you love and with the, you know, one of the, to me, the biggest, best artist I've, I'll ever play with. Okay, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I like ended on a high for a while. We'll take a break from there. You know, so you know, it wasn't like I was like, oh god, I wish I had a gig. Oh, there's a pandemic. Oh, you know, I was like, yeah. I was out there doing it full throttle, and she was too. So I, I have every reason to believe that she will pick that up again. Yeah. And, and they've given us every reason to believe that she will do a at least another final farewell well, tour. You know, yeah. somewhere in there. Uh, so. There's that to look forward to, I guess. And we're talking about share, obviously. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. F- yep. Final Not to sort be confused of with the other share. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think I mentioned before we went on air, I put up a Facebook post, um, saying that I was going to chat with you and asked, did anybody have any comments or questions? So here's a couple of responses. Uh, Laura Foster says ask about <laughs> ask about two of the most delightful dogs ever zero the saint bernard and nana the newfie yep two of the best yep. sequential sutter dogs now she's speaking yeah, my language were. there so <laughs> those were magical dogs yeah one was a saint bernard and one was a newfoundland and they were you know it's like peter pan <laughs> there you go uh and it was you know and we I had a friend who had a big giant dude from Canada, from Newfoundland, yeah. and they bred. And so we grazed like three different litters of of Newfoundland in the woods, you know, growing up. I remember that. And uh, I just helped a friend bury one in Joshua Tree, a big giant, wow. giant, giant, beautiful girl uh, named mm. Annie Oakley. And she, you know, she was this dog that was this girl's, you know, sure. sidekick. And she was just, you know beside herself knowing that it was the end was near. And I said, you know what? You have this property in Joshua tree near me. Why don't you bury her there? And it'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. One of the houses I bought out in Joshua tree have this, you know, they're five acre plots, you know, gorgeous with these beautiful views of the mountains and these gorgeous stars. And the moon looks like you can grab it. Mm-hmm. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. It really, it's Mojave deserts two hours from here. It's amazing. There's a whole cool community out in Joshua tree now and really happening for because of Coachella and the awareness. But anyway, I said, why don't you bury your dog out there? And it was like such a great solution. So now she can go visit her dog and her dog literally lives under this incredible environment. You know, so yeah, it's, it's uh, those dogs were, were great. They were, they were definitely amazing. And Laura was, was great too. She was uh, like, she was our, I think a nanny or something growing up, you know, hmm. me and my uh, twin sister. And yeah. Uh, Jeff yet wrote, Fellow stoner classmate of 87, seen him live several times with Smash Mouth, Foreigner, and Chris Cornell. All around great guy, and he hasn't forgotten his small town roots at the Smash Mouth show I saw him at in Austin, Texas. He invited my family backstage. Um, We got to hang out with the entire band. So I thought that was... Yeah, and that's that's one of those great connections. I am still in touch. I mean... Mm -hmm. Again, for those of you listening who may want to do this or do something like this, 
you know, many, 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 many people like Dave Gibbs, Bill Hurley, and I could go on and on. Yeah. Adam Unsworth, Eric Unsworth, all the Unsworths. They are, you know, you can do it from that little town. And you might do it better hmm. than the dude coming from Atlanta or Dallas or Los Angeles or New York City. You might do it better because you're going to work harder. You know you're coming from another environment and you're going to, you know, from growing up there, you have this, you have these roots of, of this community and those universities, those colleges really helped foster that. So, you know, the scary as it is, you have a special power. As I talk to other friends of mine who come from there, we, we wanted it extra bad because we didn't know <laughs> what was out there. Yeah. We didn't have that, but we had it in our small. So we, we, we really, you know, so anyway, Jeff yet is a, is a great example of like somebody who I still stay in touch with. And we, I remember his kids came out to the show and they were like, you know, Smash Mouth to them was like the Beatles, sure. you know? Yeah. So it was pretty, it was like, yeah, we're having Cokes with the Beatles, you know, <laughs> for you, you know, and, yeah. and they're sitting right there toweling off and telling jokes, you know, it's like, that's cool. You know, if I can, if I can, if I can introduce you to your Beatles and I can, you know, that's, that's a bonus, you know, and Jeff stays in touch and I stay in touch with a lot of those people. And I, I wish I could get back more. I wish I could go to like Drex subs is like the best sub in the world <laughs> for me. Everyone says that. Like, oh yeah. Forget <laughs> it. That's like, that's like crack. You know, it's like if I was in pot, if, you know, when I go back, it's like, Oh yeah, we're getting a Drex sub first thing, you know, like, that's one of the few foods. Obviously, the bagelry was great, and so many great restaurants and places to eat. Maxfields was like, you know, mother's milk. We'd go there, hang out, play gigs, have beers, eat food. It was a great scene, you know. But direct subs, you know, it's like that is like, a, that's like, you know, that's like final meal, you know. You're at, it's like, what would you like? It's like, I'll take a, a direct sub. And what's amazing is the dude making the direct sub on Main Street is the same guy that made my direct sub when I was in high school. <laughs> same dude. Yeah. So, so punk rock. That dude rules. He's like a legend. He should have like a, a plaque in the street, you know, like on Hollywood Boulevard, if you ask me. But anyway, Jeff Yet rules. We went to school together. And, uh, you know, it's so many great people that, that thanks to, you know, obviously social media, we stay in touch. And yeah. It's like, hey, my kid wants to do this. And it's like, let's go get a coffee. We're in L.A. doing an audition. I'm like, hey, y'all. He's like, could you give him pointers? Sure. I'd love to. You know, how cool is that? I went to the prom with you, and now I'm giving your kid <laughs> pointers for his audition. Right. And he got the gig. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure. That's cool. Yeah, I'm sure people appreciate immensely how accessible you are and willing to, again, like we talked about earlier, be a mentor for, for people. Well, like I said, because for me, so many doors were, it was so cold coming out here. It's like, it doesn't need to suck that bad. This could be cool. I'm not worried about you taking my gig. In fact, take my gig. I got more. Take my gig, please. If I can give it to you, I will. You know, I, that I think is one of the best traits you can have is not to be too precious or, Oh, you know, don't, don't touch my, you know, don't come near my, no, you gotta be like, man, this is, this is. This is, you know, this is where it happens. You're in Los Angeles or you're in New York City. I mean, you know, this is where it all goes down. You know, the, the, literally, the, literally, the fruit grows on trees. You can just grab it. Yeah. You just got to know how to grab it, you know. And if I can help you, lift you up to get it, you know, I, I certainly would because I wished I had more of that. But I did have plenty of that with people like Peter Zach and, yeah. and you know, people who were 
instrumental in saying, you can do this and let me help you. And you know, it does, it's a brutal business. It really is a brutal business. Mm -hmm. And I mean, show business. I have no complaints. Obviously I couldn't, but um, it's worth it, you know, and it doesn't have to be, it's a, it, it, if I could help make it a little less <laughs> brutal, you know, yeah. you're going to get your ass handed to you. You are going to get a beat down. It is going to happen. The more you get of those, the better you'll become. And if you can make it out from that, the more confidence you'll have. Yeah. And then you'll reach this point. So I always say like, no matter how dark it is one day, if you eat your vegetables, you will get dessert. <laughs> you know, you're eating your vegetables right now, you know, and, it will come, you know, if you stick it out. Most people don't stick it out, like I said earlier. They yeah. they don't stick it out, you know? And so if that's any, you know, word to any young person or maybe older person who still wants to, you know, pursue sure. some form of this, you know, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough business. That I think anyone, even like, 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 like someone like George Clooney will tell you it's a tough, tough, terrible yeah. business. And he's wildly successful, yeah. but he's, I'm sure he's a nice guy and is willing to help people out because he knows what it took for him to get there. So if I could do that, I will. So, you know, I do have a website if you're young and you want to, and it's a realistic question, feel free to reach out. And if I can, I'll respond. And if I can give you a pointer, I will, you know, nobody, nobody (laughs) rolls out the red carpet for you. You know, that doesn't happen. You got to do all the work, you know, I'm like, well, I I should say Dave Gibbs was a catalyst for me, you know, I can thank him on this station because he has been numerous times where and it's amazing. We have a wine bar down the street called Mirabelle. Dave's like a wine dude. Okay. We were at a rehearsal and he was opening a new wine bar. And I yeah. was like, I want to be part of that. You need an investor. He's like, I need one. I was like, I'm your guy. <laughs> and so it's great. I go to Mirabelle and we eat food and hang out and go like, yeah, we're from Potsdam. And we played in Greece and we own a really successful, groovy, super cool wine bar that, you know, it's like, what? Like, I, it's literally where he lives, where I live. We're in, I'm in North Hollywood. He's in, I guess, Sherman Oaks. We yeah. literally are like equidistant from this bar. It's like a right. two minute Uber drive. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> so weird. Talk about, yeah. It must circle. be neat to have that Potsdam connection there though. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And there's more than that. There's, I mean, there's another guy named Frank Briggs. He's from Rome, New York, you know, near Albany area. And Frank was in a band called 805. And I literally, he literally lives a mile from my house. I can walk there. I rescued a dog who I was just a puppy who just came to my yard. Speaking of dogs yeah. <laughs> and uh, about a year and a half ago, he was just like in my yard, like help. And I was like, all right. And I fostered him for like two weeks. I taught I have friends who do that. And they taught me how to do it before I went on tour. And I was like, Frank, he, he's like, I need a dog. I was here. So I gave him this dog. <laughs> <laughs> so he has Bonzo as a little dog, which is amazing now. And Frank is like, you know, he's like, he's like family. And Frank was in a band called 805 and 805 played like Genesis like trick of the tail Genesis, mm. like crazy Genesis. Right. Well, yeah. and they play in Django's and that was one of the bands. And I was, my mom would drop me off to see, you know, the seven o'clock movie, whatever from Norwood. And I'd watch the movie and then I'll, you know, meet me here at 10, you know, give me an extra hour so I could have some time downtown. And she did. And I would go and I would walk right out of the back of the Roxy down the little hall. And I'd walk over to the back of Django's, which is no longer there. Yeah. The, the water meter is, and the window still is. And I would stand on that water meter at, I don't know, a whopping, I was probably 10 or 11. And I'd look in the window and watch the first set. And I caught 805 twice. And both times I caught that band, it was like my brain fell out of my ear. You know, it was like, I could, I, I was like, what am I seeing? This is the best drumming I've ever seen in my life. Like, I didn't realize this was possible. And I have like 
Kiss records, you know, and right. the Beatles, like his drumming was just so phenomenal. He's one of my best friends. And I actually helped him move out to Joshua Tree and now they have a Airbnb right. in Joshua Tree. And they're oh, like, nice. thank you so much for telling us about Joshua Tree. And yeah. like, I talk to him on the phone all the time. So the point is, is like, he's down the street. He's Potsdam, he's, Pots he's Rome, he's Syracuse. He knows all that scene, you know. Sure. Um, I could go on and on. There's so many North Country people in, out here. Or I'll meet one girl who's like a, a model you know, like 20 years. I remember meeting this girl and she married this rock star. And it was like, and she's like, yeah, I'm from DeKalb. <laughs> I was like, you know, no, you're not. Yeah, really. like, no no one's from DeKalb. From DeKalb. <laughs> she is. And she was like a model, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, working, like doing like some things that like max factors. I was like, yeah. what? She's like, yeah, I, I grew up like, you know, 20 minutes from you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insane. Yeah. You know, so you, they're, they're here, you know, they're out here. And yeah, it, it is a good, it is a cool connection. And like, like I said, Frank, you know, it's like, he's a homie, but he was my, he was my, like, I don't even, you could call it an idol, but he was more like a, you know, I don't even know what you call it. It was like this, Oh my God moment of like, there is, this is a whole other level of drumming. Yeah. He still blows my mind when he drums, you know, he's in his sixties and he's killing it, but he's somewhat retired. You know, he's a, a teacher more, but yeah, it was like, and that dude lives down the street. We talk like, once a week, at least, <laughs> you know, it's like I got him his dog and you know, now he lives down a mile from me in Joshua tree for his little, you know, getaway. It's yeah. weird, you know, but cool, super cool. And so we can totally relate to that circuit, you know, yeah. of yeah, what it was like. And I was in just a little mini circuit. They were playing all over from Vermont to Boston to New York and Potsdam included. So it, it was a special time then, you know, music was, was special and catalysts like Joe Liotta, who, mm -hmm. you know, cared enough to say, Hey, I'm going to create a, a scenario. And why, what are we doing with that municipal building? Why don't we have bands play there and have dances for the kids, yeah. his daughter. And I would play drums for his daughter, you know, and her friends. And, you know, it's cool. How oh, cool, you know? And so, you know, and still my sister will go back and stay at our house in Norwood, which we still have. And, <clears throat> She'll send me a picture at the at the Village Green, like hanging out in a lawn chair, like check it out. And I'm just like, couldn't be more jealous, you know. It's like yeah. there's nowhere I'd rather be, even if I'm in like Munich <laughs> or wherever I am right. on tour, looking at that picture, going, God, I wish I was just there, watching whoever's playing. It'd be so cool, yeah. you know. It's still a magic place, you know. That that home and that area, and I'm glad we still have the house because so many friends of mine, mm -hmm. their parents you know, retire from Potsdam or Clarkson and then they sell their home and then they have no connection. Yeah. And unfortunately there aren't many, um, <clears throat> there aren't many reasons to get up there. It's not easy to get up there. Unless, no. You know, I'm not no. touring up there. I'll play, played Ottawa with Cher, which was really fun. And I had a bunch of friends come for that. And I had a day off in Ottawa, which is a great city. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in Ottawa, an incredible city. So of course I, you know, went to the art museum and, ate great food and went to, you know, historical landmarks and bought records and, you know, it was a okay. killer day. But I thought part of me was like, if it wasn't a border crossing, I would rent a car and go back for yeah. the day to yeah. home sure. and get a direct sub probably. <laughs> yeah. And you still call it home. Oh yeah. It's definitely home. I mean, it's home, you know, LA has become home too, which is weird to say that <laughs> I live in LA and it's my home. Sure. And it, you know, when I'm coming back from, you know, wherever I'm coming back from, which could be anywhere in the world now, 
Um, you know, it feels great to come home to here, but without a doubt that it, I would, I, 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 I'm so glad we still have that house in the Norwood with the Raquette river mm-hmm. still in the backyard with the deer and rabbits and the forest and nobody's built it up. You know, it's on a, there's a dam on both sides. So you, and then there's a farm on the other side, you know? So luckily nobody is, can mess with this little magic world. So when I go home, I'll, you know, definitely walk down that hill and sit at that picnic table and look out at that river. And it's the same, mm. you know, feeling I had, you know, it's a great kind of recharge. It's, it's, it's definitely yeah. my happy place. You know what I mean? If you're like, go to your happy place, that's my happy place. Sitting on that water, looking at that river, you know, at like dusk and it's just the sound and the smell and the air and that water. It's, Magic, and what's amazing is that you know there's a picture in Mirabelle, our bar. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's a picture of Dave Gibbs in his backyard when he was a baby in a canoe, <laughs> on the same body of water. If sure. he took a can and put a message in it and threw it in his backyard, it would eventually come through my yard. Yeah. Over those dams, on the Racket River, because he lives in like West Potsdam on that water. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's pretty funny. It's like, see that river? See that canoe? We have that canoe. <laughs> and yeah, that water is you know, was, was our life, you know? So, you know, it's, it's definitely, I don't, I definitely, you know, the North country is, was very good to me and everybody else who left it. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very positive memory. And when friends of mine, like a friend of mine just went back to visit his parents, Phil Hurley in Potsdam would live on, on, uh, I'm forgetting the street, but Leroy and uh, right near the high school. And, uh, yeah, he's back there and he's like, send more pictures, dude, <laughs> you know, or like, you know, you know, it's just like, send more pictures. You know, he's like, here I am in Maxfield. It's freezing cold. I'm like, I'm on May- send pictures. I want to see it. You know, it's like, you know, you, you miss it, you know, and like that crazy documentary on HBO you know, or whatever it was where, and I'm sitting here watching like the, the camera scene opens and it's over the racket river over Maxfields and Clarkson. And it's like that long opening of that, like doc, that terrible documentary of this you know, kid yes. who died, yeah. but an incredible film. And to watch that in my, in my, my TV room in Hollywood, I'm like, what is happening? That's where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. Like what is going on? Like my brain was just like, could not comprehend this slow opening of like, that's my life. <laughs> Where am I to watch that film was pretty bizarre, you know? And what's great about it is when you try to explain Potsdam to say a girlfriend or somebody, they, you can't, but now you can say like, watch this movie. That's where I grew up. (laughs) Yeah. I went to, yeah, that, see that terrible cop. Yeah. He was in home room with me. (laughs) That awful racist cop. Yeah. We were in, you know, so there's that too, you know, but I have to say music when I was first, when I first got to Potsdam high school, and, you know, in like, say, ninth, 10th grade, it was like, hey, long hair. I had like a mullet. It was like dyed black or dyed blonde on the on the back. And, you know, I skateboarded. There's nobody skateboarded in Potsdam, by the way. It wasn't such a thing, you know. I was like skateboarding. It was like 1984, 85. And I was, you know, and we're like, I'm going to kill you. Or they drive by you and be like, you're dead. You know, some farmer, Buford, we called him, you know. But then next thing you know, I'm playing like at the high school graduation. At his graduation, I'm playing in the band. And I'm cool as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm his best buddy. Music did that for me. You know, mm-hmm. music was the, the equalizer. Was it was like yep. the same dude who 
wanted to kill you because he had a mullet and you were dating some cute girl who was a senior <laughs> he wanted to date. He loved you and once he found out you had this magical power, which is called music. Like, you can, you can make that same sound as that record I love, like ACDC. You can do that? Oh, well, then we're friends. <laughs> and that was it. And I was friends with all the Bufords, all the farmers, the cops on that show. <laughs> you know, we were friends because I could make this magic. Yeah. And so that saved me. You know, when people say, like, oh, high school sucked. I school was great for me. I was playing drums, you know, I was playing drums yeah. and I was playing at parties and graduations and, and dances and, and, uh, yeah. Well, what's not the like, yeah. yeah you know, absolutely. well, music yeah, is, a, like. I, yeah. Music is a common denominator for sure. It, it was, it was in, in Potsdam because yeah. people don't understand that there are those microcosms. There are those, professor's kids who are, you know, from some other place. And then there are these farmers and there's this whole weird dichotomy that makes up the mm -hmm. North country so fantastic. And so half my friends were dudes, you know, we'd go out and drink beers at, uh, O'Malley's. I don't know where that was or, or, uh, or, uh, you know, up near the, uh, I'm trying to think of the names of these places, you know, but, uh, you know, we just go out and like get in a flatbed truck and, blast tunes and you know drink a 12 pack of beer and with the black sabbath and you know these guys were farmers and sure. you know, it's like or they you know or they you know when i was in <clears throat> norwood it's funny now it's mortifying but i was like you know my buddies we were like little kids we were five or six and they'd be like check it out man here's a 30-odd six bullet i went hunting with my dad we're like wow it resets like somebody brought like a a bullet, like I knew every bullet caliber, having never fired a gun, you yeah. know, growing up there, because all my friends were, their parents were hunters. That's sure. part of that, you know? It was like, Absolutely. it was like education coming from all directions, you know? Fascinating, you know? And innocent, not, oh my God, you have a bullet and you're in grade school. Back then it was just like, check it out. It was like show and tell on recess. It was sure. so cool. Yeah, yeah. But there was no malice to it, you know? Yeah. So, well, yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a great Great, incredible uh, experience, you know? Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much. This, is, this has really been wonderful. I know our listeners are going to appreciate this for sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, you know? Yeah. It's, it's cool to be able to uh, touch base with, uh, with the, um, the homeland yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and say, hey, so, yeah. And, you know, like I said, if you're... If you're coming out here and you, you know, you're not really sure or you're trying to do, you know, I have a website, it's just myname.com and there is a message thing. Some, you know, I've done this before and I get these messages and I, I can't help you there, you know, but if I can help you, I will yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, certain questions, but, and, uh, you know, just to say to the, you know, the little dude who's listening or whatever, who wants to do, whether, you know, whatever music, I don't know, something in the arts, something creative, you're in this little microcosm do you know don't wait mm -hmm. start doing it now you know i did and it was it's beneficial and you can do that in, in that town you know you can do that you can you know don't wait till you go somewhere else and don't feel like you can't go somewhere else when you graduate or you're in a certain position you know it's like you can if i can do it mm -hmm. if i could do it which i've so far so good yeah. you can do it you know and i don't think there were that many people who said that but i did see people doing it. And so, you know, no one ever said that to me, but I, I feel it's like important to say to people who are from there, if I could do it, you could do it, you know? Yeah. And to eat your vegetables too. 
Eat your vegetables for sure. You're going to have a lot of vegetables to eat. <laughs> but if you do it, you know, and you're lucky, you know, and you really care enough and you put in the time, you'll have dessert. And like I said, man, it's been about a good, you know, 15 years of dessert. A lot of vegetables before that, but I'm just eating dessert now. You know, it's like I'm really, you know, really lucky. So, yeah, you can, it can, it's worth it. You know, it can be done. Well, when you're back in the area, uh, back in the area, dial us up and uh, maybe we can do a face-to-face interview. Yeah, we could have a direct sub. Exactly. Absolutely. (laughs) I'd love it. I'd love it. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, Have a great day, everybody. Yep, we will see you tomorrow on Community Connection. Well, this was...